pull out your note outlines this morning, a Sunday school teacher I read this week was talking to her class of kindergartners, and she posed this question to the little children. Do you know why we celebrate Easter? This ought to be good. Do you know why we celebrate Easter? First little girl, they were all raising their hands. First little girl said, yes. Easter is the time of year when the Easter bunny lays eggs of different colors for us to find at Grandma's house. The wise teacher responded, well, we do often celebrate Easter with eggs because eggs stand for new life. But what is the real reason for Easter? A little boy was raising his hand too, wildly. Easter is when we get an Easter basket full of plastic green grass, chocolate rabbits, and jelly beans. The wise teacher responded, yes, Easter baskets, chocolate bunnies are fun things we do at Easter, but does anybody know the real reason? Smartest little girl in the class. Easter is the time of year when we remember Jesus died on the cross for our sins, was buried, and if we believe in him, we go to heaven. <laughs> the teacher responded, very good. Anything else? Yes, and on Easter Sunday, Jesus comes out of the tomb, and if he sees his shadow, there's six more weeks of winter. <laughs> I'm praying that he doesn't see his shadow. <laughs> you gotta love it, huh? From the mouths of babes. I, I read this last night, and I like I liked this. Easter is the only time of the year when we should put all of our eggs into one basket. Think about that. <laughs> Easter is the only time of the year when we should put all of our eggs into one basket. And I tell you what, I have put all my eggs into this basket. I've put all my eggs into this basket. How about you? Amen. I believe in my heart of hearts that Jesus died on the cross for my sin, was buried, was resurrected on Easter morning, and lives forevermore, seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. That's the basket I put my eggs in. Amen. Amen. But what's interesting is... This morning, if you look at your note outline, rather than looking at the biblical narrative on Easter Sunday, I'm going to take you to a different Easter passage that's found in Paul's epistles. Pastor Earl and I are going to unpack this over the next few moments we have together. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. We've printed the text there for, for you. If you've got your pen or pencil, read along with me. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered by the way, uh, circle hardships, circle suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure. Say great pressure. Great pressure. Circle it. Far beyond our ability to endure. It wasn't just simply pressure. Or it wasn't that it was difficult to endure. He goes, far beyond our ability to endure. Have you ever been there? We despaired, circled despaired, even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. Look at those words you've circled. Hardship, suffer, great pressure, beyond our ability to endure, despair, death. Watch this. But... This happened, why? 
that we might not rely on ourselves but on God. Have you ever interpreted the circumstances in your life in that way? The reason, why is this happening? We don't know all the reasons, but this is one of them. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, and underline this phrase, who raises the dead. I think that's the controlling verse in the whole passage. God makes dead things come alive. It's the premise of the entire sermon series that we've been walking through these last several weeks, and we'll continue two more weeks after this, entitled Alive. He has delivered us from such deadly peril. Notice, he has, past tense, and he will deliver us, future tense. On him we have set our hope, present tense, that he will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answers to the prayers of many. I love that phrase, God raises the dead. The God who raises the dead. Usually, when we think about the implications for Easter morning, we think of, oh, because Jesus died and was resurrected, if I believe in him, I'm going to heaven. And that's true. I'd like you to look at your outline now. This is going to become number one this morning. There is a sense, number one, we will be resurrected to eternal life after we die. What tense is that, by the way, past, present, or future? That's future tense. Typically, this is what we think of when we think of Easter. Because Jesus is alive, one day after I die, I will be alive. Jot in your margin this uh, reference, 2 Corinthians 4.14. 2 Corinthians 4.14. It reads, Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with joy in his presence. Clearly, Easter truth is Jesus died and was brought back to life again to live forevermore. That will happen to you and me one day if you've trusted Christ. But there's other senses, there's other implications of resurrection truth as well. I had to process this a little bit. Typically, the way we think about it, Jesus came back from the dead, one day when I die, I'm gonna come back from the dead. It goes beyond that. This is gonna be number two, look at the screen. It also implies that when you re receive Christ as Savior and Lord at the moment of conversion, when you are born again, there's different euphemisms we use, when you trust Jesus, when you receive Christ, when you invite Jesus into your heart, which by the way is a recent uh, way of saying it. 100 years ago they would never say that. By the way, the Bible never says that. Have you invited Jesus into your heart? That's more of a modern-day way of saying it. 
You know what they said a hundred years ago? Go home and ask Jesus to have mercy on your soul. Just the, just the phraseology shifts throughout generations, see? But nevertheless, it's talking about the same issue. At conversion, for me, July 26, 1971. July 26, 1971. What? 40, do the math. 49 years? 48 years? I've been a believer for 48 years. Wow. Jot in your margin, Colossians 3.1. Listen to this, Colossians 3.1. Since then, he's speaking to Christians, since then you have been raised with Christ. By the way, these are believers who are still alive. How can they have been raised with Christ if they're still alive? Answer, he's referring to their salvation experience. Since then, you have been raised with Christ at conversion. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So there is a sense of number one, the implication of Christ's resurrection has a future idea to it. One day when I die, and who knows when that'll be, it could be today, I'm not going to stay dead any more than Jesus stayed dead. Because he was raised, I will be raised. But there is also a sense of the past, future past, we will be raised to new life at conversion. That happened July 26, 1971 for me. What would be the third implication? There is a present tense to it also. Watch. This is number three. We will, we can, we are discovering God's grace in the midst of our present struggles. This tended to be new or a new reminder for me this this past uh, few weeks. Have you ever considered Easter, Jesus' resurrection on Easter morning as having to do with me today? I get the future idea. One day I'll go to heaven. I understand the past idea. It happened at conversion. I was raised in new life. But what is the implication for Christ's resurrection for me today? Is there any? Indeed, there is. And I think it's found in this passage. In this very passage, and I want you to look where it says, verse 11, Many will give thanks on our behalf for the, what's it say? Gracious favor. Gracious is an adjective. What's the noun? Grace. How do you translate favor, that word, into the original language? Grace. What Paul is saying is, watch, Because Jesus is raised from the dead, you can discover grace today to move the stone that's going on in your life. Today. It's not just something in the past. It's just not something from the future. It's something in the now. I can discover new grace because he's raised for whatever I'm addressing today. Amen? 
Pastor Earl's going to continue to drill down a little bit deeper on, on, on how that happens by looking at this passage. Absolutely. And this is the beautiful thing about Easter, like Pastor Joel pointed out, is that um, it has future implications that one day those of us who are following Christ can be confident that we'll rise to new life. We'll, we'll live life in the new heaven and the new earth forever in the presence of our Father and of our Savior. And it has present implications uh, in, in God's sustaining grace. And for some of us here today, it has past implications. Because like Pastor Joel, we remember the point in, in life where we prayed that, that Jesus would have mercy on our soul or we, when we invited Jesus into our heart or when we crossed the line of faith, whatever metaphor we'd like to use. But if I don't miss my guess, there's some here today for whom this doesn't have past reference. Because you haven't yet made that decision to follow Christ. And, and our pro hope and prayer, we've had people praying throughout this week and leading up to Easter, is that before you leave today, you would make that decision to follow Christ. And, and then you can say that it not only has future and present, but also past implications mm -hmm. for you. This, uh, this, this phrase that Pastor Joel highlighted at the end of, of verse 9, God raises the dead. Have you ever thought about the, the notion that that's both good news and bad news? I mean, it's good news because of like what we're celebrating today, right? We got to see baptisms or symbolic of, of two young people who gave their heart to Christ and have been raised to new life. God brings dead things back to life and that's good news. But the bad news inherent with that is that God brings dead things back to life. And so in order to experience the most powerful work that God does, you've got to be dead. You've got to experience death before you experience God's new life. Now, now all of us, we believe, uh, are born into sin. And even, even though we, we come out of the womb kicking and screaming and crying after a little spank on the behind, theologically, from God's perspective, we're born into death. We're born enemies and rebels of God. That's spiritual death. And so that's our standard nature for all of us. You know, we don't get a pass just because we live in a quote-unquote Christian nation. The, the governmental principles of whatever country you live in don't determine your spiritual condition with God. It's to experience the God who bring things to life. You've got to experience or acknowledge the fact that your death. As a matter of fact, number one, on the bottom part of your notes, it's only in death that we experience the most powerful work of God. And Jesus was clear about this. He said to his disciples, if, if anyone would follow me, this is one of the way they talked about this, this notion of being a Christian in Scripture. Jesus said, if anyone would, would uh, follow me, would come after me, they must deny themselves. And right there we have it, the first whiff of death in this equation. Jesus says, if you want to be a follower of mine, if you want to be a Christian, the first thing you have to know is that it's not about you. You have to put daily to death yourself, your desires, your wants, your wishes. If you want to come after me, you must deny yourself. You must take up your cross. And it may be kind of hard to imagine this with such a beautiful display like this on the platform. But, but when Jesus talks about a cross, he's not talking about religious symbolism. 
I'm not talking about a piece of jewelry or a, or, or a, a beautiful display on a church platform. In our language, Jesus might have said, um, must wear his noose daily or must daily sit in his electric chair. He's talking about that point of death where we're willing to lay everything on the line. Everything. Not just denying ourselves and dying to ourselves, our, our wishes, our preferences, our hopes, our dreams, kind of the internal stuff. But Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you've got to be ready to lay your life down. Then you can be my disciple. Then you can follow me. Then I'll have mercy on your soul. That's the part of the gospel that is often undersold. Absolutely. We don't tell people the bad news. That's right, we when don't. you say free ticket to heaven, abundant life, peace, joy, who's not going to sign up for that? Right. We fail to give them the other side of the equation. By the way, you've got to die daily. And, and the sense is that uh, a lot of us, before we're in Christ, especially the more life we lived, the more awareness we have that we're messed up. Mm -hmm. I mean, the more that, that life's hardships have crashed in, the more that we've had an opportunity uh, to live a life of rebellion, sometimes we feel like we don't have to hard sell that to follow Christ means death. But the longer we're in Christ, the more we tend to lose sight of this fact. If you want to experience the God who raises life, you'll experience his work in your own death as you die to yourself. And, and, and notice that, that Paul didn't like, he didn't put a social media filter over the truth that he's sharing here. I mean, he talks about God who raises the dead, and that's fantastic. But he told us the whole story. And Pastor Joel did a good job of, of highlighting this. You, we read the words together. You even circled them in your text. Uh, words like hardship and great pressure and far beyond our ability, our, our ability to endure. And, and uh, that we despaired even of life. Paul's not talking about, um, I had a fight with my wife before I left for work. He's not talking about when I pulled away from the Starbucks drive through my coffee spilled and got all over it. These aren't the hardships he's talking about. It's so intense. Paul's saying, I don't know if we're going to make it through this. <clears throat> Paul's not complaining, though. He's saying, this is what I signed on for. I knew that this was the deal, that following Jesus Christ requires me to deny myself. It's, it's, there's internal pain and internal struggle as I constantly say it's not about me and I have more growth and, and, and my desires and my wants don't matter. What matters is his. And then there's external struggles. Because when you live in this world, you find great pressure when you've died to yourself so that he can live in you. In one of the books I'm reading this week, I, uh, the author wrote about the church in Iraq. Uh, excuse me, Iran. The church in Iran. Uh, in churches in Iran, before a person, uh, a follower of Jesus Christ, can become part of a local community of faith, and you're not going to believe this, but I, I, I can show you where I read it. They have to sign a paper saying, I am willing to lose everything. 
my family, my home, my job, my reputation, and even my life. Before a local church will, will acknowledge that we see that you're a follower of Christ, they have to sign the bottom line because in Iran, just on the other side of the world, the reality is that Christians are daily arrested and thrown in prison, some of them to spend the rest of their life there and some of them to lose their life, to be martyred for their faith. They say, we believe you're going to experience the most powerful work of God in your life, but not until you're ready to literally lay it all down. And would you believe that, uh, that some who study the sociology of religion and what's happening across the world, that it's in Iran and other places like Iran where Christianity is growing the fastest? Because they understand to see a powerful work of God, I have to be willing to die to myself. The author told a story about going to China. He visited with China and met with some of their, their secret churches, their house churches. And, and he asked the people at that gathering, uh, tell me about your persecution. What, is that, what does that look like? That's foreign to us in the States. And, and, and he said that the people would stand and they would tell stories. Some of them have hidden in walls because government officials are coming. And, and some of them have, have run from gunfire to save their life. And, but he wrote, as they were sharing this, it wasn't like this scary pity party. He said they were actually laughing as they told these stories of evading persecution because they get it, they understand that to experience the power of God who raises dead things to life, you first gotta be dead. You have to be willing to lay it all down, to sacrifice everything. And these Chinese Christians, when they pray, they cry out to God, God, please don't send me somewhere safe. I don't want to go somewhere safe. Please send me somewhere where I have to die to myself, where I put it all on the line. Please consider me worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. God raises dead things to life, but if you want to see God raising things to life, if you want to experience the most powerful work of God, you first have to experience death. Number two, as we die to ourselves, we experience the power of God's grace. Notice again, verse 10, he has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. And Pastor Joel highlighted this earlier. Let's just go back to it. It says, he has delivered us. And for some of us in the, in the room today, that's our story. We've come to the point where we cross the line of faith, where we acknowledge that, that I need Jesus Christ. I've to, to, to borrow from a recent movie, I've got red in my ledger, and he's the only one who can make it right. I need to be forgiven. And then Paul talks about the, the future hope that we have. He will deliver us. And again, this is, Pastor Joel mentioned, this is the, uh, the hope that we have, that at the, the end of days, God is going to recreate the heaven and the earth. John talks about, I saw a new heaven and a new earth coming down. And those of us who have lived on this old earth and done it in a way that, uh, where we were willing to die to ourselves and allow Christ to live in us, we'll get to share in that new earth and that new heaven. That's our future hope. And Paul says, and he will continue to deliver us. Grammatically, it's a future statement, but what it deals with is the here and now. 
If God saved us from sin and death, and if God's going to save us forever to live with him in perfection, we can be confident that he'll continue to give us his grace now. He'll continue to offer us his sustaining grace. We can count on that. When Jesus is my Lord, when I've died to myself and daily I'm dying to myself so that, so that God can live in me, God's grace will sustain me. God's grace will give me the ability to move forward regardless of what I face. And notice how Paul talks about this grace in verse 11. Let's read it one more time. As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us. That's the sustaining grace like Pastor Joel highlighted earlier. And, and how does that get to us? How do, we, how do we receive God's sustaining grace? Notice how he closes the verse. In answer to the prayers of many. Two times in the, in the last verse of our passage here, Paul talks about how much he needed and how much we need each other's prayers. And this leads us to our, our final truth, number three on your notes. God raises the dead and the living must help each other experience his grace. God does the heavy lifting we have to come alongside and help each other experience God's grace. Trenton, this is what we talked about on the day when we stood here and we did your White Rose celebration. And, and do you remember what I said to you? Uh, I, I referenced when Lazarus was brought back to life and Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and then he said to those gathered, now you take off his, take off his grave clothes so he can live. There's no doubt that God does the hard work, but then he expects us to come alongside each other and to administer his grace to one another. And this happens in all kinds of times, in all kinds of places. Paul talks here about praying. That's, that's why we constantly, uh, as a church, are pointing us back to and bringing us back to praying. Not just praying in a prayer closet somewhere in your private devotions. We want to do that. But we want to come together with our other believers. We want to pray together. We want to agree together as we pray because that's the way we administer God's grace to each other. We administer God's grace to each other when, when we actively care for one another. Uh, if you're part of the church and on the prayer chain, you know that last week Jessica Stevenson went to the hospital quite unexpectedly and was there longer than we expected. And, and her family's here today. She's at home recovering still. I had a chance to visit with her in the hospital early this week, the day before she went home. And she was telling me about this, uh, this group that she's part of, not only the small group here in the church, but also a, a group that they do for their homeschool co-op. And how those, that, those two families, her small group here and, and her, uh, their homeschool co-op, rallied around them and cared for her family while she was in the hospital. And, and Dave works uh, you know, early in the morning till the afternoon and is exhausted when he comes home. And so they provided meals and gift cards so that the family could have what they needed. And as we sat and talked, it was just like this sense of relief. Like, mm. this is what we do for you. That was God's grace administered through other believers. And my family would say the same thing. Four weeks ago, my wife had surgery, and it's her first Sunday back with us today. Um, but for four weeks, she's been laid up. And many of you came and brought us meals, and that was, that was wonderful. As you can see, we're eating plenty. But even better than that, 
many of you came in and you sat down or, or you stood and had a conversation just caring for Sarah, asking, how are you doing? How's the pain? How are you feeling? Tell me medically what's happening, what's going on. And, and through that, we received God's grace. You see, we administer God's grace to each other. He, does, he gives the, the new life. We administer the grace. When we speak truth to one another, the hard truths about blind spots and remaining sin, that's, that's not just confrontation. That's administering God's grace to one another. When we share our struggles and our victories with each other, when we, when we bear one another's burdens, when we walk alongside each other, and, uh, and help us take our next step. When we allow love to do its best work by overlooking the friction that comes in relationships, by refusing to be offended by those things that we all do, that's administering God's grace. And Paul says, I need other people around me to experience God's grace. Look through the passage again. All the pronouns that Paul uses are plural, except for when he's talking about God. Everything else is we and y'all and us and our. And Paul is telling us we do this together. God's the only one who gives salvation. He's the only one who brings dead things to life. But it's through one another that he administers his grace. We can't do this alone. We need each other. That's why we encourage you that regular church attendance is important. That's why we say we'd, we'd love for you to get plugged in with a small group here, people who can bear each other's burdens. That's why we have Sunday school classes, and we encourage you, if you're not in a small group, engage with a Sunday school class and be faithful and regular there. It gives you a chance to, to, to support one another and to pray together and study God's words together. That's why, that's why we invite you to become part of serving in a ministry here with youth or children or uh, at the Welcome Center or in the cafe or the kitchen on Wednesday night or teaching a class or using the ability and the gifts God has given you because God wants you to administer grace to others and others need you to do that we can't do this thing alone we have to have each other to do this so I said um, when Joel when Pastor Joel tagged me and I said we'd like to give you an opportunity today if, if you can't say that this, uh, this idea of following Jesus Christ or inviting him into your heart or however you want to say it, if you can't say that's a past reality for me, we want to give you the opportunity to do that today. We don't want you to walk away from Easter Sunday morning uncertain whether or not you're a Christian, whether or not you're actually following Christ. And so in just a moment, I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And, and, and as we pray, I'm going to invite you to respond. We've, we've got three ways I'm going to invite you to respond. First of all, if if you can't say that's a past reality for me, I'm not confident that I'm really a follower of Christ. I mean, I went to church when I was a kid and my parents had me, you know, baptized or christened. But if I'm to be honest, I don't know that I've really followed him. We'll give you a chance to respond during the prayer time. And then I'm also going to give you a chance, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, to let Pastor Joel and I know, if you sense the Spirit working in you, that there's something to which he wants you to die an attitude, a behavior. It doesn't take your salvation away. 
but it's keeping you from experiencing the full life that God has for you. Maybe apathy, maybe you just don't care about other people and so you're not doing anything to make a difference in the lives of others. We'll give you a chance to dream prayer. And then finally, the third thing I would say, maybe, maybe those two don't apply. Maybe you know that you're a follower of Christ. There's not, you don't really see anything in your life that you need to die to, but you would say, you know, the truth be told, I'm kind of doing this thing alone. I'm kind of trying to be a Lone Ranger Christian. So we're just going to give you a chance to, uh, uh, to signify that, that you understand that the Holy Spirit is moving you to connect with other believers, to be more intentional about your walk with Christ and, and doing that with other believers by your side. What we're going to do is I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite you while, while all of our um, eyes are closed and heads are bowed. I'm just going to walk through each of those and invite you, if you'd like to respond, to respond as I ask you to. So can we bow together and pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who makes dead things alive again. And, and, and that's a story that we, a, a reality that we celebrate on Easter because you did it with your son. And that was the first of many lives that you've brought from death to life. And so, Father, I would pray for those right here, uh, even as I pray where there's a struggle going on in their hearts. And they have this sense that they're not a follower of you. And something in them wants to step forward and something else in them is, is trying to hold them back. The death has is, is, is got its claws sunk in and, and is fighting with them. But Lord, I pray in these moments, even as we pray, that they would acknowledge that they need new life. And they would pray this prayer. God, I know I need to be forgiven. And I thank you for Jesus' death and resurrection so that I can be. Would you forgive me now and call me your child? And if you prayed that prayer just now, I'm going to ask you if you would, uh, while no one's looking around, I'm just going to ask you if you would slide your hand in the air so Pastor Joel and I can see it. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Now, some of you are here have had this issue of following Christ settled for years. One of those, the Holy Spirit stirring in you about something to which you need to die. An attitude, uh, a repetitive behavior that's got its hooks in you. Maybe something else he's whispering. If that's you, I'm just going to ask, would you raise your head and make sure you lock eyes with either me or Pastor Joel so that we can be praying for you as you work to put that to death in your life? Amen. And then finally, if you're here today and you would say, you know what, I've tried to do this thing alone long enough. I need, I need somebody. I need a, a mentor. I need a friend. I need a group of people to walk alongside me and help me experience God's grace. I'm going to ask, would you just look up so that we can try to connect you with a group of believers? Father, we thank you that you are the God who raises the dead and bring dead thing, brings dead things back to life. We thank you for the new life here this morning and for those who have acknowledged that your spirit is speaking to them about dying to something in their own life. Yes. By your grace and by your spirit, 
Would you remind us that as we take steps of faith, we experience your grace and your provision. We pray all this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who's risen from the dead, who's conquered death and hell, and in whose name we have confidence, we will have the grace to live this life. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand so we can bless one another? And then we'll be dismissed. For those of you who are guests with us today, after I pronounce the blessing, if you'd like to say and also to you, as in, in that way, we'll bless one another. May you know the God who brings dead things to life. May you experience his grace as you die to yourself. And may the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit give you peace. Amen. You are loved. Go with God's grace.